pray. Lord, we do thank you today for the opportunity we have to gather together to be your people. And Lord, we just look forward to what you're going to teach us and and what we're going to learn. And God, we do right now want to lift up also our team going to Keno Bay. Lord, as they leave Wednesday, we pray that you would bless them. We pray for preparation right now down in Keno for hearts that are, are receptive. And Lord, that all of the arrangements that need to be made prior to the team getting there will get taken care of. Bless the transportation. Bless them as they drive and keep them safe. And then we want you to bring them back. And so, Lord, uh, we lift them up to you. And again, we look forward. What you're going to teach us as we look at breaking down barriers, breaking down walls that we ourselves put up. And God, I thank you as we watch the church expanding in the book of Acts that, Lord, it can challenge us in our own walk with You and our, our, our own dealing with other people. So we do pray that You would open up our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if we've been watching the church for a while in the book of Acts... Now, listen, most say it's been about 10 years. It's kind of interesting. You get to Acts chapter 10, 10 years. Maybe not quite 10 years, but, but close to it. And as we've watched it, remember how the church has grown. What did Jesus tell them on the day or right before Pentecost, what did he say? Go to Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit, and then you will be my witnesses in Judea. And we saw the outreach in, or in Jerusalem. I'm sorry. We saw the outreach in Jerusalem. We saw all that went on. Then he said Judea, which expands it a little more. We saw that. Then they went out into Samaria, remember? And they did that. And then, and then listen, to the uttermost parts of the world. So we're expanding and we're going out. Now the last big barrier for the church to cross was going to Gentiles. You've got to remember, the early church was Jewish. It was Jews who got saved. It was Jews who came to the Lord. So they're still hanging on to a lot of their Judaism. It's in them. Hey, it's, it's been their life. You've got to remember, that was their life. And they're kind of hanging on to it. It was an amazing thing that they even would go to Samaria, although the Samaritans were half Jews, so they could almost accept that. But it's amazing they did that. Now listen, the last big hurdle, barrier, is how are they going to go to the Gentiles? What is going to be the catalyst to cause them to go to the Gentiles? Now some of you might say, wait a minute, wasn't there Philip and that Ethiopian eunuch guy? Wasn't there that story? Yeah, there was. But remember, he was a convert to Judaism because he had been to the temple. So listen, so you have that going on. Oh, and by the way, just for uh, some background, you know we're going to go to uh, Caesarea today. Not literally, but in the story. And listen, you remember who's at Caesarea? Philip. Huh. That's kind of an interesting thing to think about. You know, just keep that in the back of your minds. And some of you are going, why? You'll, you'll find out. But listen, now we have this whole thing going on. How are we going to, how is God going to get this church to reach outside of this safety Judaism pocket and go out into the world? Do you know that most Jews of that time, I would say 99.9% of the Jews at that time thought Gentiles were only made to feed the fires of hell. I mean, these are heathen people. They didn't, hey, they didn't mix with them. You didn't even talk to them, much less 
interact with them, having them over and, and sharing good news with them. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? God made Israel to be a light to the world, and they so messed it up. But listen, that's where they're at. So that's what's going on, and I want us to keep that in mind. Then it tells us in verse 1, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household and who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So we're introduced, listen, we're introduced to this Gentile. His name's Cornelius. He's hanging out in Caesarea. That's a beautiful spot. You know, I kinda, I'm kind of understanding why Philip hung out there, right? Philip, man, he traveled and then God shot him into Caesarea and he goes, man, I'm going to stay here, right? It's gorgeous. It's on a Mediterranean. Nice stuff all around. And, and listen, this guy, this is his duty in the military. When I got drafted, I didn't get sent to places like that. I don't know what was going on. I, you know, I, I read stuff like that and I think, I didn't get to go to Caesarea. I didn't get to go to no beach area. But here's this guy, he's a centurion. A centurion, listen, the, the, the Roman army at that time was, was uh, divided up into, you had the, Rome, the, you had the legion, which was 6,000 men, then you had cohorts, were were 1,000 guys, and then you divided that down into uh, uh, centuries, they called it, hence you had the guy over him, a centurion, were uh, companies, like a company of today, like 100 guys. So listen, you're divided down, but here's an interesting thing. Have you ever noticed in Scripture when centurions are brought up, these guys that are, would be similar today, what I would consider equal of a company commander, have you ever noticed when they're brought up, they're always brought up in a good light? I would challenge you as you're doing your Bible reading this year and going through the Bible reading, check that out. In Matthew chapter 8, remember there was a centurion who came to Jesus and said, hey, my servant is sick. And Jesus, you know, he's talking to him, and he says, no, no, you don't need to go, just speak the word, because I'm a man under authority, yet I have authority, and when I tell one to go, he goes, when I tell him to come, he comes, so, so just speak the word, it's fine. And remember what Jesus said? In all of Israel, I've never seen faith like this guy. And then remember when Jesus was hanging on a cross, who was there? The centurion. And remember as he looked up in, in Matthew chapter 27, as he looked up, remember what he said? Surely, this must be the Son of God. And now we, have, now we have Cornelius. He's hanging out. And did you pick up? Listen, this guy's there in Caesarea. And he says, listen, uh, three things. First of all, it speaks of his faith. He's a devout man and one who feared God. I think that's more of a technical term, that one who feared God. There were a group... They called them God-fearers. They were still Gentiles. They didn't quite convert to Judaism. They didn't make that jump. And they called them God-fearers because they had a respect. In other words, they were people who kind of left that polytheistic uh, attitude of, of uh, Rome. Remember, Rome had a lot of gods. And, and you, know, you could worship them all, Mars and Venus and all of that. You could do that. So they had a lot of gods. But these guys left that, but they hadn't quite converted to Judaism. So they called them God-fearers. But it says he was devout. He was a God-fearer. And then it says, listen, it speaks of his family. His family was also following and going along with him. And then it says he even practiced this God-fearing, right? He gave alms. And he prayed. Now listen, a lot of people would go, wow, 
This is a great guy. He is a great guy. He's only got one problem. He's not saved. He's religious. He's, hey, he is sincere. He's all in where he's at. But he hasn't trusted in Jesus Christ for his salvation. That's a key element in this guy's life. Listen, I think a lot of people look at people like this guy and they think they're okay. They think they're in. They're not in. He's still on the outside. This guy, listen, right now in our story, he's not going to heaven. If he died right now, he's not going to go to heaven. You're going, that's horrible. No. You have to trust Jesus to get to heaven. I don't care how good you are, you're not good enough. I don't care how much money you give. You're not going to get there unless you trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what saves us. That's what gets us there. And I think, listen, part of me, the reason I like this story is it so makes that so real. Now listen, you might say that's not fair. Well, you listen to the rest of the story. Check out what goes on. Because God is good. Listen, so, so we learn that about Him. And then it tells us in verse 3 about the ninth hour of the day He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, about the ninth hour. That would have been one of the hours of prayer. And I'm assuming he was praying because it said he prayed always, right? And in his prayer, he sees a vision and an angel in the vision. So I don't know if the angel showed up or if it was just a vision. I think it was just a vision of an angel. But nonetheless, as he's having his quiet time, as he's seeking the Lord, he hears all of a sudden his name called out. How cool would that be? Number one, I think he saw a vision of an angel. He saw some kind of form. And then he hears this guy say, Cornelius. That, I don't know about you guys, but I would be kind of thrilled if someone came from heaven or some being came from heaven and just said my name. I'd be kind of stoked. Yeah, he knows my name. It's kind of a cool thing, right? Oh, and then I would also be much like this guy because what does it say in verse 4? It says that when he observed him, he was afraid. He was afraid. Every time in Scripture when angels show up, people are afraid. They don't just go, oh, hi, how are you? I'm glad you dropped by. Listen, I hear people talk about that. You know, the other day I was talking to my angel and we were having a discussion. No, you weren't talking to your angel. Listen, he was afraid. This is, this is a, you know, equivalent maybe today of a captain in the army, man. And, and listen, he's stationed there and he's afraid. And then listen, listen to what he says. He's afraid and he says, what is it, Lord? Now, I, you know, who knows what these voices are like? You know, in my head, they're always like deep reverb, you know, kind of thing. Cornelius. Right? What is it, Lord? Now listen, I love this. Listen, he's not saying Lord is in Lord Jesus. He's more saying, what is it, sir? Listen, he recognizes, he recognizes this is a supernatural being, right? He's getting that. So he's saying, what is it? Now I love that, don't you? Here's a guy, he's a God-fearer man. He's wanting to do what God wants. He goes, what is it? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Here's the cool thing. First of all, the angel knows his name. Secondly, he lets him know that God knows what he's doing. That is cool, isn't it? Unless you're not doing the right thing. Then that's not so cool, right? If you're like messing up bad, you're going, I don't want God to know that. I think this is a great thing, man. Listen, Cornelius, you need to know something. The things you're doing... 
the direction you're taking, the path you're on, you need to know that God knows you're on that path. Here's what you and I need to understand. This guy needs to get saved. It's not just us that knows it. You know who else knows it? God knows it, right? And God's recognizing what's going on. Listen carefully. If you act on the light that God has given you, He's going to give you more light. I don't care if you're in the deepest, darkest, you know, jungle of the world. If God shines light, you act on that light. God's going to find a way to give you more light because that's how good God is. So here's this guy. He's acting on the light he has. He's a God-fearer. He's giving alms. He's praying. And so the angel shows up and he says, Hey, Cornelius, here's what you need to know, man. God sees what you're doing. God knows what you're doing. And he says, verse 5, Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea, and he will tell you what you must do. Listen, man, this is great, right? Here's all you need to do. You need to send to Joppa. And here's what I'm kind of thinking. I'm kind of thinking, you need to send to Joppa. You need to find this guy named Simon, or Simon Peter, and he's staying with Simon the tanner, and his house is by the sea. And when you find out, he's going to tell you what you must do. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm not sure I was asking what I must do. I was just like praying. But you're not there yet, Cornelius. You see, something has to happen in your life. And you need to hear the good news. And so the only way you're going to hear the good news is for someone from the church to come and tell you the good news. So go do this. Now, have you ever asked yourself, how come the angel just didn't do it? I ask myself that, like the angel's there already. The angel knows the truth, doesn't he? Nod your heads. Sure, the angel knows the truth. And who knows if Peter's going to go or not? Like, God takes big risks, doesn't he? Wouldn't it have been simpler just to have the angel do it instead of going through all this? Couldn't the angel said, hey, Cornelius, here's what you need to do. You need to recognize that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And all you have to do today to be saved is accept that. Recognize that. Accept that and your sins will be forgiven, okay? And Cornelius could accept it and be forgiven and be saved. But God says no. You see, He's entrusted the Gospel to us. He's given us that tremendous privilege of sharing the truth with other individuals so they can come to know Him. And listen, I, I, think, I think sometimes we don't recognize the tremendous privilege. Don't you know that angel was, I think he was a little bit ticked. I could give him the truth. Why is he going to go to Peter? We all know what Peter could do. So listen, he tells him what he must do. Oh, also, wasn't Philip there? Yeah, Philip's hanging out there. Why didn't he go to Philip? I mean, why go all the way to Joppa? It's like 35 miles away. And re remember, they didn't have cars. So you got to walk, right? This is 35 miles. That's a long walk. You ever walk 35 miles in a day or two? Yeah, that's a long walk. So here's not, why didn't he use Philip? Well, because the wall needed to be broken down. God knows what he's doing. Hey, he's working in the heart of Cornelius. And in a minute, we're going to see he's also working the other side. Listen, here's what I love about this story. We're seeing the sovereignty of God working in the hearts of men who are making valid, real choices in their life. 
And listen, God's not making them robotic automatons or any of that. They're making real decisions. So here he tells Cornelius, here's what you must do. You know, you need to do this. Now, Cornelius has a decision to make, doesn't he? I can either send men to Joppa, or I can go find Philip, or I can tackle the angel and get him to tell me. Right? So listen, you've got to love this guy. So he tells him, this, is what, and this guy's going to tell you what you must do. Verse 7, and when the angel who spoke to him had departed, which kind of tells me, was it just a vision or was the angel really there? Because now the angel departed. So I, I don't know. You know, it's still, it had to, be, had to be amazing. He says, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. Listen, man, this guy's influencing are the men around him too, isn't he? Now he's got, what, a devout soldier? Someone who's listening and wanting, so he gets him, two of the servants, and then, so when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, this happened about three in the afternoon. That's the ninth hour. I'm thinking he got those guys together, and he said, go now. I'm not thinking he waited. The only reason I'm saying that is, by noon the next day, these guys are entering into Joppa. It's about 35 miles away. You've got to do some hoofing to get there, right? Once again, go for a walk. Go for a 35-mile walk and tell me how long it takes you. I'm not going to do it. I'm asking you to do it. Time it. They've got to be moving. And so those guys take off. We see them. They're leaving Caesarea. Now they go to Joppa. They go you know, down the coast a little bit to Joppa. Then verse 9 says, The next day as they went, there, went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Remember the Jews would often have three times a day of prayer, right? They'd have it at nine in the morning, at noon, and then at three in the afternoon. Morning, evening, or morning, afternoon, and evening prayer. And they would do that. So listen, Peter went up on the housetop. Now that's not, you know, we kind of live in the southwest and, and we sort of get that and understand what that's all about. But some people don't. Listen, they, they lived a lot on their rooftops. You know, they'd make flat roofs and they would live up there. So Peter found a nice, quiet place and just went up there to pray. And so he's hanging out on his rooftop. He's praying to the Lord and he got hungry. Do you ever get hungry praying? Do you ever get distracted praying? Isn't it amazing when you, isn't it amazing like you can do a lot of things and focus and go, but you go to pray, man. All kinds of things show up, right? And it says here, listen, then he became very hungry. Now here's this. I know guys. When we get hungry, we're, number one, not fun to be around. We get grumpy. We get demanding. And we usually go, I'm starving to death. I haven't eaten in three hours. Right, guys? Come on. He's hungry. And I'm thinking, you probably just had breakfast, dude. And it says he was very hungry, so he's up there. Now, here's the thing I'm thinking. He's praying. He gets hungry. What are you going to do when you're praying and you get hungry? Think about food. Maybe pray for a sandwich or something. I don't know. You know, but you're there and he's praying. And so, listen, he's hungry. So God, God uses that. Isn't it great how God uses that? Okay, I've got to use this in Peter because, you know, we've got to reach Peter where he's at. Have you ever noticed how God will meet us where we're at? It's great, isn't it? So listen, he's hungry. 
And it says, listen, he became very hungry and wanted to eat in verse 10. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance because when guys get hungry, they do that, right? It's kind of become, so. And it says, and he saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at four corners descending to him, let down to the earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and creepy things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Wow! Now listen, I, I read this, and you know, I read it, and I, I get absorbed in it, but you know, there are some who get like overly absorbed. There's one commentator spent like two and a half pages trying to decide if it was a sheet sheet or whether it was a sail off of a boat that was a... And I'm thinking, I don't really care. Why are you doing this? And then other commentators are going, notice it was held by four corners, and the four corners represent the four compass points, and it's letting us know this is... I'm thinking... Of course it would be held by the four corners if you held it in the middle, all the animals would slide off. I'm thinking that's not that complicated. It's like, golly, does you have to spiritualize every little thing? He's letting this thing down and listen, it says all these animals are in there and the Lord tells him to get up and eat. Leviticus chapter 11 gave very strict dietary laws, right? Leviticus chapter 20. You don't eat certain things, man. One thing you don't eat is bottom feeding fish. No lobster, no shrimp. Ooh. You know what was in that sheet? Lobster and shrimp. You don't eat those. Hey, you don't eat any pork, man. The bacon was cooking. Man, he's hungry and he's looking at all of that and he's seeing, listen, he's seeing all kinds of things he's not supposed to eat. Some people say there were owls in there too. Like, I don't crave owls. I don't like looking at an owl and go, man, I'd like to eat that thing. You know, there's some things God said not to eat. It's not a problem, right? Some of the things He says, you don't want to eat that. No, I don't. You're right, God. Good idea. But listen, man, Peter sees that and the Lord says, listen, the Lord says, get up and eat. I think Peter's mind is like going... <laughs> Who's Peter? He's a Jew. He's raised a Jew. Hey, I'm not sure whether Peter was the most devout Jew in the world. I don't know. But I know he was a Jew. And I know he was an Orthodox Jew. A kosher Jew. That's heavy duty. What are you talking about, Lord? Get up, kill, and eat. Did you see what was in there? There's some bad things in there. Although I've always wanted to taste bacon. But... <laughs> really? You want me to kill and eat? Wow, that... Is there something in your life, maybe as you've grown up your entire life, that was kind of the, 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 the foundation that you hung on to, the thing that, that you knew morally was right and wrong, and then that thing gets ripped out from under you? That's huge. It's huge. You've got to understand that. And for God to say that, listen, for God to say that, it had to absolutely, listen, he had to be going, and so what does he do? He does what Peter does. He says, but Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Now here's the thing. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus has already explained to them that all foods are clean, hasn't he? 
Go back and read it if you don't remember. Go back and read it in Mark chapter 7. Remember, Jesus said, it's not what goes in a mouth that defiles, in, in the mouth that defiles a man. It's what comes out of his mouth. For what goes in your mouth goes into your stomach and then goes out of the body. But what comes out of your mouth comes from your heart, right? So listen, Jesus is, and they said, and then, you know, there's a footnote in there for us. By saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So he's already done that, but Mark, but, Somehow, Peter missed that lesson. Maybe he wasn't there that day. I don't know. And so he goes, not so. I'm not going to do that. Now listen, you know, sometimes we give Peter a bad time because he has a habit of telling the Lord no, right? Right? He did it in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus said, hey, I'm going to go and they're gonna, we're going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me on the third day. I'm going to rise again. And Peter says, that's not going to happen. No, <laughs> you got that all wrong, Jesus. You're hanging out with the rock. That is not going to happen. Not Dwayne Johnson, the rock. <laughs> Peter, the rock. It's not gonna, I'm not going to let that happen. And then in John chapter 13 is my favorite. Remember when Jesus went to wash your feet? And, John, and Peter, Peter's going, you're not washing my feet. You're Jesus. You can't even wash my feet. And I love it, man, because he's adamant. No! And Jesus says, hey, Pete, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Oh, then wash my whole body. Right? It's like he, this guy's like, this is Peter. This is our Peter. And so listen, it's not unusual, but here, here, I don't think he's being irreverent. You know, some, you know sometimes we make a big deal out of it. You can't say, no, Lord. And, and I kind of get that, but listen, this is rocking his world. This is something that, hey, I've never eaten anything unclean. Are you picking up on that? He's never crossed that line. I haven't done that. No, I'm not going to do that. Lord, don't you understand? That's kind of the bedrock of our faith. You go to Israel today, and they're so careful about how they serve, what's served, and, and the way it's served. Listen, you're not going to get a cheeseburger in Israel. It ain't going to happen. Why? Because they don't mix milk and meat. They're not going to give it to you. You're not going to get especially a bacon cheeseburger. Sometimes, man, I watch Americans go, I want a cheeseburger. You're not going to get a cheeseburger. They ain't going to do it. They'll kick you out of a place. If a place is serving dairy products and you walk in there with some kind of meat product, they're going to tell you, get out. They're still careful to this day. So we need to understand, man, this was huge for Peter. And he goes, Lord, I'm not going to do that. So the Lord, listen, I'm not going to do that. I've never eaten anything unclean. Verse 15, the Lord tries to explain things to Peter, right? And a voice spoke to him again the second time and said, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now God's setting him up, right? Isn't this cool? God's setting Peter up to understand something. This, listen carefully. This isn't just about food. This is about Gentiles, and this is about crossing and tearing down that wall. Remember Paul in Ephesians? What does he say? Jesus Christ came and tore down the wall, the barrier between Jew and Gentile. And there's no more Jew, no more Gentile. We're all one in Christ. And here's the beginning of tearing down that wall. So he says, listen, you can't do that. You can't call, you know, don't, don't, uh, what, what I've called clean, don't you call unclean or common. And then it was done three times. Don't you love God? Like he's making a point here. Come on, Pete. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? How many times did Jesus restore Peter on the, on the shore there in Galilee? Three times. 
It seems like Peter learns in threes. Right? So Peter, I'm going to do it for you three times because I know you. And you're one of my favorites, but I know you. So three times, three times he does it. Now listen, Peter's like going, all right, I kind of saw that. I'm not sure what's going on here. So while Peter wondered in verse 17, now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, what a coincidence, right? Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and they stood before the gate and they called and they asked whether Simon, whose surname Peter, was lodging there. Now this is just just so happens they show up right after the vision, right when he's thinking about, and here's what I think he's thinking. What was that all about, right? I mean, have you ever, have you ever even just read your Bible and go, what was that about? And God is teaching us something. And I believe Peter knew that the Lord's trying to teach him something. He's just not sure what. So he's wondering, those guys show up right at that time. That's why I think they left right after Cornelius talked to them. They show up right at that time around noon the next day. And they're standing at the gate. Don't you love that? They don't go beat on the door or whatever. They're standing at the gate. You know, culturally, we, we kind of do doorbells or knocking and stuff. There's a lot of places culturally you don't, inter- you don't invade another person's property. You just wait. When we worked with the Indians in Mexico, the Tarahumaras, and, and they were back, and, and some of them would have had little fences by their house or, or, or something, and hey, if, if one Tarahumara wanted to talk to another one, he would go to his house and he would just stand out by the gateway, if there was a gate, or just out away from the house. And he'd stand there. Hey, what are you doing? Well, I want to see, you know, whoever's in there. Why don't you go tell them? Eh, when they're ready, they'll come out. They stand there until they come out. That's patience, huh? And that's the kind of, I see these guys are standing at the gate. Hey, is this Simon the Tanner's house? Well, we already knew that because we could smell it. But listen, man, hey, we're here. Hey, is there a guy named Simon Peter hanging out here? Because we want to talk to him. Kind of interesting, right? So they're yelling. They're having that conversation. Verse 19, while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, three men are seeking you. Wow, God knew exactly how many were there. Hey, Peter, three guys are looking for you. Really? What did I do? Right? Three guys are seeking you. Now listen what the Lord says. I love it in the New King James. Arise therefore and go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Now some of your translations say don't hesitate, but that word is more like do it with determination. Here's what the Lord's saying. I want you to go down and don't doubt. Why would God tell him that? You know why? Because he's going to doubt the minute he gets downstairs. Because when God shows us something and we go for it and we decide to make a decision and it's so outside of who we are, it's outside of our comfort zone, outside the box. Listen, God is coloring outside the lines here. Huge. He's not even close to the lines. And Peter now has to, listen, he's got to process that. And he's going down the stairs and God says, man, when you get to the bottom, don't doubt. Oh, I so want to doubt right now. I so want to change my mind. Can't I just go and fish for fish? Huge decision he's got to make, man. He's going to go downstairs. And what he's about to meet is probably, I think, the biggest act of faith so far in Peter's walk. Hey, last time he raised the dead girl, right? 
I think Peter thought that was simple compared to this. I've got to talk to Gentiles. Hmm. Again, I want us to get the gravity of this situation in Peter's life and how amazing it is that he would be faithful to what God had shown him. And then I want us to understand something else. God is working in Cornelius' life and God is working in Peter's life. And all of this is so Cornelius can get saved. What a great God, man. Never underestimate what God is doing in another person's life. Never underestimate that. So listen, I want you to go down doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So verse 21, Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius, and he said, Yes, I am he who you seek. For what reason have you come? Listen, he doesn't, God doesn't even let him know. I'm thinking, he's still thinking, does that have to do with food? <laughs> Maybe he's thinking they're delivery guys, right, from the store, right? I mean, it's like, God showed me this whole thing of food. Maybe we're going to get bacon today. Come on, man. You guys think, you think Peter read ahead and he knew what to expect? He didn't. Why would God show him a sheet full of food and then tell him, go down there, there's some guys looking for you, and don't doubt? I'm thinking food. Food's still on my mind. What'd you guys come for? And they said, not with food. <laughs> Listen to what they say. Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation, among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and hear words from you. Wow. Really? Yeah, that's why we're here. It's interesting that they got the whole story from Cornelius, isn't it? And it's interesting that they don't just say Cornelius who's in Caesarea. But what do they say? Cornelius the centurion. Do you understand that the Jews despised Gentiles? We've clarified that, right? But then I think they despised even more Roman soldiers because they're in their country. And then I think they probably even despised a little bit more the officers over those soldiers who were kind of pulling all the strings, right? And now here's what they say. We want you to go. We came because Cornelius, the centurion, oh, by the way, the Jews really love him. Yeah, I bet they do. They really love him. And listen, he's been divinely instructed by a holy angel for you to come and speak to him. Okay, Pete? I thought this was about food. <laughs> I thought we were going to get like lunch, man. Where's those ladies with lunch? What's going on? You know, kind of, what's going on? So listen, you've got to love what he does. Because he heard, listen, he heard. Then he invited them in. Oh, underline that in your Bible. He invited them in. He invited Gentiles into the house. Now listen, I'm thinking Simon the Tanner. You, you remember Simon the Tanner? He's a Jew, and he's tanning, so he's kind of already on the outs with, with the Jews, right? He's probably on the outskirts of the city, and people don't like him a whole bunch because he's handling dead things. But listen, I think even Simon the Tanner going, why are you bringing those guys in my house, man? Have you ever noticed how Peter uses other people's houses? 
used his mother-in-law's house in, 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 in uh, Capernaum, and now he's a Simon of Tanner's. And hey, likely, likely the Jews are going like, to tear that house down and burn it because a Gentile went in there. It's like, what are you inviting Gentiles in my house? Where I kind of I see that. Hey, why don't you guys come on in? And then check it out. And then it says, listen, and Peter said, come in and lodged them. Lodged them mean he gave them hospitality and fed them and ate with them. Wow, Peter got the message that quickly. And he's understanding, okay, God, you told me you sent the three men. Here's the great thing. Don't doubt me. Don't doubt me, Peter. Just go. Okay, God, man, I'm going to trust you, but this is scaring the liver out of me. Come on in, guys. Let's eat. And they hang out that day. Can you imagine their conversation? wonder what they talked about. Just tell me more about Cornelius. You like serving under him? Yeah, he's such a great captain, man. It's interesting, people who are over you, especially I think in the military, either leave a really, really positive influence or a really, really negative influence, don't they? Those who have been in the military, at least my experience, my whole vast two years. But listen, you have this going on, and, and I'm thinking, man, they had to be talking about an angel visited him. You know, Peter's got to go, an angel visited Cornelius? Tell me about it. So having a conversation, they're eating. Then, listen, the next day, the end of verse 23, on the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Hey, Peter says, okay, man, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. And I love this, man. He took some brethren. I read ahead, he takes six. Now, I don't know why he takes six guys with him. I don't know if he's scared. I don't know if it's like a security team. I don't know what it is, but he takes six guys. I think more of it is witnesses to see what's going on. So listen, man, this is one of the greatest stories. We're going to stop here. We've got to read the rest next week. So you have to come back. Yeah, someone went, oh, sorry. <laughs> got to come back next week, man, to get the rest of the story. But listen, how do you understand how incredible this is? If you don't hear anything else out of this, you've got to understand the marvelous works of God, the Holy Spirit, and individuals. He's working in Cornelius' life. He's working in Peter's life. He gives Cornelius a little bit of light. Cornelius acts on it. He gives him more light and more light and more light. Peter, he's got to change his heart so he'll go speak to those Gentiles. What a great thing. And the biggest thing is God trusts me and you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is crazy. Right? Man, that to me just blows my mind. He allows you and I to be the instruments He can use in another individual's life. All we got to do is listen and obey. That's all we got to do. Do the Peter thing, man. Get up, go down there, and doubt nothing. And God's already prepared. Listen, Peter doesn't go save Cornelius, Jesus saves Cornelius. And Jesus is already working in his heart, man. He's prepared him. How do you know that person that God's nudging you toward? How do you know God hasn't already prepared that person and got him already? And you get to pick the fruit. Woo! And all you are is a fruit picker. You're nobody special. I hate to tell you that. Some of you are a little mad right now, but it's okay. Man, just be open to the move of the Spirit in your life. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you today. 
I think of what an incredible, incredible uh, passage this is and, and just looking at lives of people. And once again, Lord, that we understand these are real lives, real people having to deal with real situations. And Lord, this great barrier as we see broken down between Jew and Gentile. And now today, we can come to church and we look around our church and we see people from all kinds of different places on every level, social, economically, racial, ethnicity. Lord, I thank You for the diversity that we have within our fellowship. And it's because the Gospel of Jesus Christ is for all men, for all people. And Lord, we thank You for that. And God, now I pray that maybe some of us as we're standing here, we need to break down some barriers in our own lives. Maybe we've put up some walls against maybe individuals or maybe groups of individuals. Maybe we've deemed them not worthy. And I pray this morning as we look and see Your work in the life of Peter that You would tear those walls down in our hearts demolish them and destroy them. And God, that we would be available to You just as Peter was. And I'm going to ask you to stay in a place of prayer for another couple moments. And you know what? If you're here today and you don't have that relationship with Jesus, and by saying that relationship, here's what I'm talking about. The very thing I said about Cornelius. If you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins because of what He did on the cross for you. You need to do that this morning. You need to ask Him to forgive you. And listen, it's from your perspective, it's simple. From God's perspective, He died in your place. He paid the ultimate price so you could have eternal life. And today, all you have to do is say yes to that. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's a pretty simple prayer. You're just going to admit to God you're a sinner. You're going to ask Him to forgive your sins based on what He did on the cross. And then you're going to ask Him to come into your life. And He will hear that prayer. So if you want to do that this morning, just say this prayer with me. You can say it out loud. You can say it silently. It's got to come from your heart. You've got to mean this sincerely. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you today for your grace and forgiveness. Now, I want you to come into my heart and change me. I want you to come into my life and guide me. Right now, I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. If that's the cry of your heart, and you said that prayer or something like it, and you meant it sincerely, I'm going to ask you just to put your hand up in the air so we can pray for you and encourage you anyone in here today greatest decision you'll ever make 
Father, as we get ready to go, we thank You once again for Your grace in our lives. We thank You, God, for the opportunity that we have to represent You to our generation, to our community. And I pray, God, that again we would understand the tremendous privilege You've given us. Lord, and guide us and direct us. We pray again for that team going to Keno Bay. Lord, bless them, encourage them. I pray for open doors for them, not just in the immediate ministry that they're doing, but throughout that community as they're there for, for four or five days. Use them in a great way. And use us, God, here as we go to work, as we go to school. God, as we play, Lord, use us to minister to those we come in contact with, to share the good news. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.